Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 428, and today we are talking about books being released on August 29th, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Kelly, hello! Hello! I like that in the document you are anonymous cheetah. I do too. It's so cute! <laughs> How is everything going? You know, I am ready for this month to be over. And I am ready for my kid to be back at school. (laughs) And I am really looking forward to only having to work during the day instead of having to work and parent simultaneously. It's been a very long August. Yeah. (laughs) How about you? She's, I mean, she's still very young. I, I like, I can't get over how many people it's, we're recording this on August 23rd. And I can't get over how many people I've seen that are already sending their kids back to school. I mean, when where I grew up in Maine, it was always the day after Labor Day. Always. That was always the first day of school. And now I don't I don't get it. It's so early. That's how it is in Wisconsin, but in Illinois it's always been like the last couple weeks of August. Mm-hmm. But I think even Chicago Public, which usually went back after Labor Day, started before Labor Day this year. I don't know like what the exact reasoning is, but I do remember in high school when they shifted our schedule a little bit. They said that the reason they chose to do that was so that finals would happen before winter break. Mm -hmm. And then that way they weren't just like hanging over you over winter break. I don't know if that's like the logic behind it. I wouldn't have cared. (laughs) I'm going to fail them either way. Who cares? (laughs) I mean, TBH, I use those, you know, break days to like study and prepare for those finals. So Oh, good for you. Yeah, well, (laughs) says a lot about how cool I am. Studying is cool. I really like it now that I don't have to do it. That that says a lot about me. Like, now that people are telling me what I have to read and study, I love learning things. It's fun. <laughs> so, speaking of learning things, today's episode, the corresponding area code for 428, I learned, is the Canadian province of New Brunswick. So, hmm. hello to everyone in New Brunswick. We have quite a few listeners in Canada, so hello to them. And also, before we start talking about books, I want to remind you about tailored book recommendations. If you want to escape these last few dog days of summer with perfect book recommendations, you can let tailored book recommendations pick awesome books to keep you entertained. So touch some grass, grab some lemonade, and enjoy (laughs) TBR's picks. They're great for readers of all stripes. There are plans for all budgets. So visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. So woohoo! Recommendations, books. Speaking of books, I was like, I don't know if I should say this, but you said yes, so. Yes. It's so weird to be on this side of things. (laughs) Uh, It was announced last night by my literary agency that 
I signed an agent, which is very exciting. I am working on a book-shaped thing, and now I don't want to do it <laughs> because mm-hmm. I'm terrified. I have a friend, my friend Iris Blassie, uh, she signed me, and I've known her for many years, and she's, for many years, she's always been incredibly supportive and saying, you can do this and you can do that, and I tell her ideas, and she's like, yes, and I'm like, no, and a few months ago, I said, I have this idea, and she was like, yes, like, gave me a contract, and I love that she's a friend of mine because she knows that as soon as I signed that contract, I I got sick to my stomach several times that evening because I was like, (laughs) what have I done, you know, and... And it's very nerve wracking, but now it's out there in the public and it's like public accountability. It's like, I have to do it. <laughs> and you will like, yeah, I, I, the same thing happens to me. Like I've been working on a project. Yeah. You're an old pro at this now. <laughs> I've been working on a couple of projects with my agent and like the same thing, like you go through this whole, like, oh, now I don't want to do it. Or like, yeah. now I'm too scared to do it, but you sit down and you do it and it's fine it's just working through all of those like second thoughts all those nerves all those like what ifs and then you do it and it's done and you know it's fine like you survive yeah yeah i'm like at that stage plus like she'll she'll be like you have to do it you have to you have mm-hmm. to like that's that's mm-hmm. another thing that i love about signing with somebody that i know is like she knows me you know because like i gave her this idea and then immediately could not write anything down because my brain was like, now we can't do it until she announces it because it's not real anymore until she announces it. And so now there's been announcement. I'm like, come on, please. Can we do some stuff now? (laughs) (laughs) So, but now we are going to talk about books that have been written and are awesome and that we love. But first we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international best-selling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsy Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild at heart childhood best friend. 
So the Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I think I've talked about this book like a million times in all these different places. The release date was changed three times. And so I'm glad that I noticed it before you grabbed it, Kelly, because I would have been like, Rawr! Uh, because I love this book so much. It's Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. Now, Miracle Creek, Kim's first novel, was this amazing story. It was a debut. It was about family and crime and love and loss. And she is once again using all those things in a different combination to write this incredible follow-up. It's about a 20-year-old named Mia. She and her twin brother are home from college. This is at the start of the pandemic. Colleges have shut down. Kids have gone home. They're sheltering in place with their parents and their younger brother, Eugene. But we learn from the very first sentence that something bad has happened. Every day, Mia's father and her younger brother, Eugene, go out for a walk. And this time, Eugene comes home without her father. And due to some miscommunications and some mishaps, they don't even realize that their father didn't come home for several crucial hours. And the only person who knows what happened to their father is Eugene, but he can't talk. He has a rare genetic condition called Angelman Syndrome. And so they have to try and figure out, like, what happened, where he is. They have to call the police. The police are trying to treat Eugene as a suspect, you know, and they don't care about his condition um, and they don't care about his rights. They just want to shake him down for answers. And so they're trying to shelter him from the police. And as time goes by, hours and hours and hours pass, they don't find her father. They do uncover some secrets that he was hiding. So, I mean, Miracle Creek is great, right? It's amazing. We all know I loved it. I, I did it for Book of the Month, you know, when I was a judge. I just, I love this book. But I think this one is even better. This is like, I think I called it somewhere like next level dazzling storytelling or feat of storytelling. I was really amazed because this was the first book I read where the pandemic played a huge role in the book, not just in like people have passed like, oh, that time that we had to wear masks or whatever, but like they're having to meet with the police officers and, you know, they have to go places like the jail and the courthouse and all this stuff, but like somebody tests positive for COVID. So the people who are there have to quarantine and not everybody can do this and not everyone can question these people at this time. Like they have to take into account that the virus is active in all these places. And I thought that was, that was really like fascinating to read about. And I, I felt, and I also felt this with Miracle Creek. I don't know if this makes any sense. I'm just going to say it anyway, like I do. I felt like I was like there watching these events unfold. Like Angie Kim puts readers at such ease that it feels like you know these people or someone you know is telling you this story, uh, even though like the subject matter can be really hard sometimes. It's just, it's fantastic. She expertly teases out the mystery and his secrets while also 
telling, you know, this story of this family who has suffered this loss and, you know, there's love and resentment and fierce loyalty going on. It's just amazing. It's one of the best novels of the year. Because there are some difficult subject matters, I do want to give content warnings for cancer, illness, and loss of a loved one, trauma and grief, suicide, racism, child endangerment and harm, physical violence and injury, ableism and ableist language and slurs, war violence, child sexual assault, and police intimidation. This is Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. So my first pick actually came out last week, and it's Just Do This One Thing For Me by Laura Zimmerman. I want to start by saying that the marketing for this is really frustrating me. They keep trying to sell it as a thriller, and it's really not. It's a contemporary realistic book. There's a dead body in it, but it's not about the whodunit. Um, It doesn't really follow the contours of what you'd expect from a thriller. So if that's a thing that, you know, you may have seen and maybe put you off, like, don't go in thinking thriller. So the story follows Drew, who lives in a small town in Wisconsin with her younger sister, younger brother, and her mom. Drew is the responsible one, always picking up the slack where mom leaves off. She's always doing the just one thing for mom again and again and again. So when Drew's mom asks her to watch over her sister, Karna, and her brother, Lachlan, so that she can spend a weekend in Mexico to see Justin Timberlake, uh, Drew is not happy, but she does it. Her mom asks and asks, and even if she didn't ask Drew to do this, she'd just expect it anyway. So there's no telling Heidi Hill, the mom, no. Things get a little bit messy, though. Um, Heidi needs a passport, which will require a trip to Chicago to expedite the process. Then she'll need a ride to the airport. So Heidi can coordinate these things on her own, but she thinks one thing Drew can do is take her siblings to see their dad at his remote cottage up north. Fine, thinks Drew. Unhappy, but again, she's the one that does things, perennial first daughter to the hot mess of her mother. So when Drew and her siblings get back, it's a bit of a surprise mom has not reached out about the trip. But again, mom isn't always responsible. You know who is reliable, though? The Social Security Administration. As it turns out, Drew's mom has been collecting on Social Security for her dead grandmother for years, and now there's an investigator at the door. He wants to know where grandma is. And Drew and her sister Karna have to come up with an answer, and they need to do so while carefully skirting around the fact that they are a house of under 18-year-olds alone while their mom is somewhere in Mexico at a concert. So they devise this entire storyline about grandma being in and out of the home, but being very much alive. So when Karna discovers that mom is not in Mexico, that story begins to unwind. What happened to mom and now what are the siblings going to do? They don't want to go see dad and they don't want to see their family broken up, but they need money. And Drew's future in college is in the balance, too. Not to mention that Lachlan, the youngest brother, deserves both a good life and to know the truth of what's happening in his family and the truth about the lies that their mom tells to keep them all together. So this sounds really complicated and complex, but it's actually a very funny um, and indeed, yeah, also heartbreaking book about a lower class family trying to simply survive. All the characters are multidimensional and regularly butting heads with one another. The lies being told continue to build upon one another, and at times the way the lies unfold is really laugh-out-loud funny. In one scene, for example, Drew lies about where her grandmother is to evade the 
investigator, and she says that her mom took grandma to the casinos, to which casino asks the investigator, the naming the two native casinos in Wisconsin. Drew has no idea and answers in this like perfectly snarky teen voice that it's whatever one has the good deal on crab legs. And it's moments like these throughout that make the sadness here easier to navigate because there are times that this is a sad story and one where you both want to keep the lies that this family is sharing in order to keep them together. It's observant and it perfectly captures the setting in rural Wisconsin. I found the storyline about Drew's future to touch on what we don't see enough of in YA2, a teen who chooses to apply to a single college out of what feels like obligation and then not getting into that school and needing to figure out what to do next. She's very level-headed about it, as she is with all things, but she also learns that if she wants to make her future her own, one where she gets to live the life she deserves to, she might need to rely on the help of others, even if she is used to being the one others rely on and hasn't been given the chance to do that herself. Pick up this one if you like stories of family, if you like stories where the underdogs have a chance, and where you laugh out loud one moment and then maybe feel the knife in your heart in another. And that's Just Do This One Thing For Me by Laura Zimmerman. Okay. So my next pick, this was synchronicity, I think, because I read this book many months ago. I loved it so much. I keep this document of titles that are upcoming. And somehow, occasionally when I highlight one to use for something else, I forget to unhighlight it and I hit a button and it gets erased. And so I hadn't noticed that this next one had dropped off my list and... I was going to talk about How to Say Babylon today, which is an amazing memoir, and then I found out last night that it got moved to October, and I was like, ah! And so I was scrambling through the catalogs, and I was like, oh my goodness, how did I not write down this book? So here it is, friends. It is Things in the Basement by Ben Hatke. It is an amazing graphic novel. So good. I love Ben Hackey. He wrote Is He the Space Girl, Mighty Jack. Um, he's done some picture books. He's an incredible artist, an incredible storyteller. And this is an, another amazing middle grade graphic novel. It's about a young man named Milo. He moves into a new house with his mom and his new baby sister, Lucy. And his mother asks him to find one of Lucy's pink socks. She has these special pink socks that were made by her Tia and... His mother can't find it. She's got her hands full with the baby and unpacking. And so she thinks it fell somewhere by the washing machine, which is in the basement. So Milo has to go downstairs into this creepy basement that he's unfamiliar with. And he's poking around and he finds his key and he's like looking around. And then out of the corner of his eye, he sees a rat run off with the bright pink sock behind some furniture. So he goes after it. He's moving stuff, and and Milo finds a wall, a hole in the wall. And he goes through this hole, and it comes out into this very, very fancy parlor with, like, velvet chairs and pictures all over the walls and furniture. And he's like, he's like, what is even happening here? And while he's in there, he meets a sentient skull that is very friendly and can, like, float along. And so it decides to accompany uh, Milo on his trip, and they keep going. And they go through mazes that look like the Jareth's 
Escher world at the end of Labyrinth, like the, the Goblin King's like upside down stair place, and they keep going through these doors, and the basement just keeps going and going and going down, and they keep going through doors, they go through cave paintings, they go through a cathedral, and along the way they make more friends, they make friends with a tentacled floating eyeball thing, there's a ghost, there's also a big monster... Um, who consumes the rat and the sock and tries to eat everything else in its path. And they have to figure out how to get the sock out of this big monster and not get eaten in the process. So it's adorable. Kids are going to love this book because it's so colorful and fun and interesting. But so here's the thing about this one. I had deep thoughts about this book. I don't usually have deep thoughts. There are, like, no layers to me. I have one layer, and it's covered in stickers and cat spit. Like, that's it. But I had deep thoughts about this book because I have been following Ben Hackey on Twitter for many years, and I know that several years ago, he and his wife lost a daughter. And this book read to me like a book about grief. It's about a precious thing that is spirited away from you, and you are searching for what you lost, and it's dark, and it's frightening, and you don't know if you'll find your way back. You know, like, I mean, this seems, this metaphor seemed like to me to be what it, it, it's about. I mean, the skull is named Chuckles, which says to me, like, it's the death of joy. The eyeball is named Weepy because people are always crying. Um, they go through a cathedral and they can't find it there. You know, they've lost faith. Even the monster, the monster is like grief, you know, it's threatening to consume everything. And that, other level of this book really struck me and just broke my heart and made me love it even more. And the, and the artwork is gorgeous. It's cutesy, but also beautiful. I just loved it so, so much. This is Things in the Basement by Ben Hackey. My next pick is My Father, the Panda Killer by Jamie Jo Huang. And before talking about this, I need to note that this is not an easy read and it deals with every challenging topic you can imagine. None of the characters are particularly likable. There's abuse, there's trauma, and the book does not neatly resolve. This is all stated in the pretext of the book, too, so I want to reiterate it in advance for folks who may skip this review or may who may be wary of the book itself. It was excellent, but it is a tough one. So the book is told in dual timelines. The first is in 1999 in San Jose, California, and it follows Jane, who is 17, just about to graduate from high school, and who has a big secret she's been keeping. She got into her dream college and will be moving away at the end of summer. This is a big secret for several reasons, including the fact that she's sort of the glue holding her family together. Mom has disappeared, and Jane has stepped in to be her little brother Paul's rock. She feels obligated to be that because of their demanding and at times physically abusive father. She is really scared to tell Paul she's leaving because she's worried he'll feel like she's abandoning him and leaving him to fend for himself. At the same time, Jane knows this is her opportunity to finally live her own life rather than the life she believes she's supposed to live. Plus, she'll get away from the rigid expectations of her father. The second timeline is 1975, and it follows Fook, who is attempting to leave his war-torn country of Vietnam during the war. It's been a brutal war, and it's one where every family has been split in their loyalties. But for Fook, getting out of Vietnam is not an easy task in the least. Every attempt to get out has left him battered or in danger of losing his life. And when he finally does get the chance to get out, even the boat becomes a place of fear. He witnesses murder and death and the limits of human suffering, all of which he feels deeply in which embeds in him in each attempt to escape. 
When he finally makes it to America, he marries and moves to San Jose. But even if there's not active war in America, he carries with him the burden of survival as well as the challenges that come with being a an immigrant. So Fook is Jane and Paul's father, and this is not a spoiler. You know early on that you're seeing both sides of what has been a traumatic immigration experience, one riddled with violence and pain and suffering. And it's the split perspective that gives insight into why Fook behaves how he does toward his children, never apologizing for it, but giving it context. It also gives Jane a lot to think about when it comes to why she feels the pull to be as similar to her white American classmates as possible and eschew her Vietnamese heritage. This will shift and change throughout the story as Jane is able to reconnect with family overseas and comes to see that her best friend, also a second generation immigrant, may be misguided in her attempts to completely forget her own family's past. This is a slow read without romance, and it's a really powerful story of family, immigration, trauma, and the effects of all of those on mental health. It includes a look at intergenerational trauma and what it is to make a life for yourself when the world has been the furthest thing from kind for you. Both Jane and Fook are deeply flawed characters, but their flaws are what make their stories so compelling. Their experiences are not their destinies, and once the two of them can see each other as complex and multifaceted, they're better able to understand each other and maybe more importantly understand themselves. There's not a twist in the end, though I found how we come to understand the book's format of the dual timelines to be extremely effective, and it adds to this incredible relationship that Jane has with her little brother. In a book that's tough to read, there's a lot of places of hope and resilience, and this sibling dynamic was one that I loved from the start, and it continued to maintain throughout the entire story. Jane recognizes she has a powerful role in her brother's life and also understands that she has this opportunity to show him that his present doesn't have to be his future, that everybody has the capacity to change, and change might be scary, but it can also be a door into a wonderful future. Fook understood that, even if his past continues to really play a role in his current life. Uh, readers who like heavier reads will dig this one, and let it be the slower paced read that it's not that it's meant to be. Like this is not going to be a fast read, and that's okay. That is my father, the panda killer, by Jamie Jo Huang. I fully admit to passing that book over simply because of the title. I was like, that does not sound like something that I can handle. <laughs> yeah, it. it there's a lot of really heavy stuff in it, so you do have to know that going in. And there is a panda situation in it. You know, contextually, it makes sense. But if you are sensitive to those things, like, you need to know that and, and make a decision based on that. Yeah. I have heard amazing things, though. So those are more of today's release. Or not more of today's releases. We now have, I should say, more of today's releases a hardcover and paperback that we're excited about but haven't necessarily read. I am kicking it off with The Deadline Essays by Jill Lepore. Jill Lepore is a two-time Pulitzer finalist. She has written many books, including The Secret History of Wonder Woman, These Truths, which is like this amazing, concise history of America. Like, she jams so much in, in like a short, I mean, it's hundreds of pages, but like it still seems very small for a lot of history. Um, she's just a fascinating person to hear talk. Um, I've seen her a couple of times. And this is a collection of essays. I believe they were all written for The New Yorker. Um, they cover world events, the pandemic. You know, she also talks about things like popular culture, like 
Bratz dolls. I I missed the Bratz dolls. I think I'm I'm thinking I'm saying that right. But I can't wait to read this one. It is the Deadline Essays by Jill Lepore. My next pick is one I haven't gotten to yet, but I'm really excited to read, and it's The Sunset Years of Agnes Sharp by Leonie Swan, translated by Amy Bojang. It sounds like an utter delight, as it's a story of the residents of a senior retirement home hoping to help solve a crime, and not the one that they committed. So Sunset Hill is in the English countryside, and while the residents have their usual quibbles over food and lost glasses and so forth, it's mostly quiet. Uh, that is until the day a police officer knocks at the door to share that there has been a dead body found at the house next door. It is not, however, the body of Lilith, the person who is dead beneath Sunset Hill. Knowing that the police are looking for a murderer to the neighbor, the residents are hopeful they can pin Lilith's death on that suspect. So the story follows Agnes and the rest of her friends at this retirement home who are now going to help solve the mystery of the dead neighbor, leaving Sunset Hill to do so and hoping that this will help cover up their own crime. This one is called Twisty and Darkly Funny, and it's a translated mystery from Germany. I'm not usually like a big mystery reader, but this sounds like it hits all of the, the boxes on my like types of books I like to read. And that's The Sunset Years of Agnes Sharp by Leonie Swan, translated by Amy Bojang. If there's one subject that I think is picking up speed this year, or one genre, it is mysteries featuring older protagonists older yes detectives. i agree there are many 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 more coming and so this is pretty exciting there was one from spencer quinn last week the week before i kind of want to read that one too um and i definitely want to read this one um so before i tell you about my next pick we are going to hear from another sponsor today's episode is brought to you by bloom books Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be. Right? Right, girl. Like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, gotta go on on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. 
But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. My other pick for today is The Lost Library by Rebecca Stead and Wendy Mass. This is a middle grade fantasy novel. It sounds delightful. It sold me because it has not only books, but a cat on the cover. In rereading the description to write about it for the show today, it also sounds like it might make me cry. I did not pick up on something the first time around that I was like, oh, that might be really sad. Rebecca Stead wrote one of my favorite books, When You Reach Me. It's just amazing. And Wendy Mass is known for a ton of books, including like Pie in the Sky. This one is about a little free library that appears overnight in a small town. So it's kind of like Ascension with like the murderous mountain thing in the ocean, but it's a little free library, so not so murdery. And there's a young man named Evan, and he and his friend learn that there is a connection between the library and events that happened in their town many years ago. The library is guarded by a big orange cat named Mortimer, who also share who also shares narrating duties with Evan and a ghost librarian named Al. So this one sounds really charming and fun. Uh, if you have not read When You Reach Me by Rebecca Stead, I highly, highly recommend it. And I also recommend not reading anything about it. I was so frustrated when that book came out and all the descriptions were like, here's this thing that's happening. And I was like, that is like, you're giving away the whole book. So just trust me, read it. It's amazing. And this one is The Lost Library by Rebecca Stead and Wendy Mass. My last pick is The Infinity Particle, written and illustrated by Wendy Sue. Wendy does some of my favorite graphic novels, so I am really excited to get my hands on her next one. Her art is dreamy in this sort of pastel-y palette that's just really pleasing to spend time with. So the story follows Clementine Chang, who moves from Earth to Mars and lands an amazing job with an artificial intelligence pioneer named Dr. Marcella Lin. During her first day of work, Clementine meets Dr. Lin's assistant, a humanoid AI named Kai. Quickly, Clem and Kai begin to work together, and there's chemistry building between them. This does not make Dr. Lin happy, as she's noticing that Kai is asserting more and more independence, and Clem herself is confused because these feelings are changing how she thought about AI altogether. If Kai can have feelings, Clem wonders why he can't control his own actions. So what does Clem do in this situation and what led her to Mars in the first place and how might that help her allow Kai to break free from his role as AI? And that is The Infinity Particle by Wendy Sue. I read this one. I loved it. It's really, really good. I just didn't get to it and I can't wait to because I I love Wendy's work and this sounds really, really fascinating. Yeah. And just like the the use of only a few colors just makes it that much more impactful. Like, it's really amazing. So those are books that we have read and loved and want to read. Now we're going to talk about a few books out in paperback today and some paperback originals, starting with Babel, or The Necessity of Violence, an Arcane History of the Oxford Translators' Revolution by R.F. Kuang. Uh, R.F. Kuang ha- has a big hit this year with Yellowface. This one came out last year, was a huge, huge hit, won awards, book riot favorite. It's about an orphan in Canton who is adopted by a professor at Oxford. He is raised to learn many languages, 
But as he gets older, he realizes that his training is being used to help the Empire colonize the world, and he has to figure out what he wants to do. An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us by Ed Young. I love discussing nonfiction books because, like, the subtitles, like, pretty much tell you exactly what the book is about right there. Um, Ed Young is a Pulitzer winner. He wrote a book called I Contain Multitudes. He had an amazing essay that came out a few months ago, which I'm completely forgetting the name of now. But this one is about animals and how they have different abilities than humans, which is not surprising, but still fascinating. Hotel Magnifique by Emily J. Taylor, a YA fantasy about a young woman and her sister who join the staff of an enchanting hotel that may actually be hiding dark secrets. And there's a lot of great paperback originals out today, uh, including My Roommate is a Vampire by Jenna Levine. It's a debut romance about a young woman who rents a room in the apartment of her dreams, but her roommate uh, is quite unusual. End credits, How I Broke Up with Hollywood by Patty Lynn. Lynn is a screenwriter. She uh, wrote an award-nominated episode of Breaking Bad. This is about her time in Hollywood as a woman and as a person of color, which is just as difficult as you could imagine it would be. There is a 20th anniversary edition of the graphic novel Blankets by Craig Thompson coming. This one won awards. I know it's a favorite of many, many people. It's his graphic memoir about two young people who fall in love at a winter church camp. Where Peace is Lost by Valerie Valdez. Valdez wrote Chilling Effect, which is a book riot favorite. We talked about it. It's the one with the psychic kittens that get loose in the spaceship. That's not what it's all about, but that's my favorite part. Um, And there were follow-ups to that series. Uh, This one is a new book about a coming space war. A Night of the Living Queers, 13 Tales of Terror and Delight by Shelley Page and Alex Brown. This is an anthology of YA horror stories and includes such authors as Ryan Douglas, Sarah Farazan, Kosoko Jackson, and Tara Sim. So those are some awesome paperbacks. And now, Kelly, what are you going to read next? I just started Whale Fall by Daniel Krause last night and was sad that I did not have the capacity to stay up all night and read it. So that is the plan this afternoon. What about you? Whale Fall is so good. And oh. I don't I don't understand why it had such a very small first printing. I mean, it was sold out immediately as soon mm-hmm. as it came out. Like, nobody had it. it, it like... It has such buzz. Everyone knows Daniel Krause. He does all these things. Like, I couldn't believe when he was like, well, so my book is sold out everywhere. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing yeah. problem to have. But on the other hand, like, I've, it really seemed more like a, a stock issue. Like, they didn't print enough mm-hmm. the first time. But, yeah, it's so it's so great. Uh, I'm going to read Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, a memoir of mental illness and the quest to belong anywhere by Maria Bamford. Um, you might know her. She's a comedian and actress. She's been on Arrested Development. She had her own show. Um, she's always very open with her struggles with mental illness, um, and she's very funny. And I also have The Goth House Experiment by S.J. Sindhu, which is a collection of stories that I've heard amazing things about. And that is it for us today. You can check out TBR by going to mytbr.co to sign up today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Kelly, where can people find you online? I am really trying to move myself over to Substack, mm-hmm. and I'm there at stackthoughts.substack.com. All right. And I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franz and Comes Alive. 
And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. Kelly, I will speak to you on Halloween, I believe, is the next time we got got Halloween together. Uh, And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading!